This programme is about the journey of Perks Family Funfair, Yall County Cork, and is titled Sal's Funfair. It is funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with the television licence fee. Please and keep those barriers on your right hand side. No head and bumping. Here we go now. Come on, China. Are you ready? Off we go in our walk. Philip, I'm just off now over to the arcade and I'll see you later. Bye. I'll see you later in the office, Sal. Good morning, Perks Family Entertainment Centre. Siobhan speaking, how can I help you? Um, Siobhan, have we made further details about our wristband night? The ad and everything gone in now to the All News, sent into the Middleton News as well. Um, same procedure as last year. The funfair um, of Perks and Tyvee, but particularly Perks, the old funfair, of course has been part of my family since I can remember. My grandmother and grandfather came from uh, Stratford-upon-Avon and they came to Ireland. And my grandfather died, so she was left destitute virtually. She used to play the piano in the silent films and my father used to play the violin. He was about eight or nine or ten. Uh, my uh, aunt, Queenie, played the harp. And this was just one of their jobs, the silent movies. My name is Norm MacDonald. Our history goes back all the way back to 1901 when uh, Granddad MacDonald, George, came to Ireland. They travelled around the north for about 10 or 11 years before they actually started to come down south. They were, they were very good friends with the, um, the Barrys of Fort Adown. The Perkses, who used to live close by, were very friendly with the Barrys. The Barrys were very, very friendly with the MacDonalds and consequently they, they formed a very strong bond in friendship. A fun fair came to town to Belfast and uh, they were looking for a fortune teller. So my grandmother said uh, to my father, I'm going to apply. And of course she said, what's well, impossible? You, you don't know anything about fortune tellers. She said, I'll soon learn. So off she went anyhow um, to the fun fair, which was McDonald's. Any of the fun fairs up to, up to 1910, 11 would basically only have been stalls. There would have been like coconut chais, hoopla stalls, prize stalls. They're all gone now, unfortunately. Sometimes they, they haven't, but they're basically they're all gone into big machines. But you see, you've got to understand that there wasn't a huge amount of money in Ireland in the early 1900s. They could make money with, at that time, was stalls. So they started off with stalls, and then they progressed slightly to swinging boats. After the swinging boats, then they progressed to chair planes. When they got the chair planes, they got the, the gallopers. Anyway, uh, when she got there, she came for her interview, and there were other ladies as well. And anyhow, she said she was Madame Agatella. So she started anyhow, and she did very, very well. You know, Daddy was very good with engines. And at this stage now, he must have been about 15, 16. And anyway, he got a job in the, uh, the steam engine. And of course, as you can imagine, a lot of coal had to be shoveled into the belly of the engine to keep the light going. We had to do is we had to transport, and obviously in the early 1900s it was all done on steam. Uncle Jumbo, I think, was the first man to buy what was known as a steam wagon. Now a steam wagon, he, he, it would have been made for the First World War. 
You can pull mm. up the seven wagons and the steam wagon. One night, anyhow, one uncle didn't turn up and he used to do the roulette. So my grandfather said, can you count to my father? And he said, you bet your life I can count. And he put him on the roulette and he did it fantastically well. Right. Now, in 1914-18, there was a very big war in England. Uh, after the war, Grandad MacDonald went over to London because he had heard there had been um, a dodging track in a amusement park that had actually been damaged. He, he went over and he bought the dodging track and brought it back. And they actually made a round dodging track because they couldn't make a square one because all they had ever made was round stalls. So th- they made this round dodging track and they did very well. Uncle Jumbo then progressed because he had an idea of actually making a square. And they actually started to make square dodging tracks. We were the first, probably the first people in Europe to actually travel dodging tracks. I'll go back now to the site in London. During the war, it was bombed out, not very badly, but it was bombed out enough that they had to rebuild it. So what they, what they did is they brought the plates, the steel plates that your dodging goes on, and the steel plates that your top connection was on. In other words, it was steel, no, no, it was steel top and bottom. Yeah. No netting. And they brought them over and Grandad sat down and said, now we can't put the steel up on the roof. So they put up uh, wire netting. At this stage, they rolled out the wire netting, which the Italians applied in 1960 Mm. to start making a pile of money. But our family, unfortunately, never clicked them to register what the the dodging track then became the staple diet for Mm. all the family. And as each one of the girls got married... You know, there was the helping hands. They knew where they're going. They had the experience. And, of course, they, they, they had their stalls and their dodging tracks. And Uncle Russ, and, and not Uncle Russ, but Uncle Hector and Uncle uh, Jumbo actually made all these dodging tracks for the first few years of, of all the different families. And they all spread out and had their own business. But whilst he was there, he met my mother. So in those days, you did. He knew her from the time she was 16. So she had to wait till 25. And at 25, in the meantime, while they were engaged uh, for several years, let me tell you, um, he was making stalls, you know, like, um, uh, did you ever see them spinner stalls, you know, with the big wheel that goes round and there's a pin that stops at the number. And if you have a ticket of that number, you're the winner. And, of course, on the stall would be everything from sets of wear to holy statues to pots and pans to everything. And then you could win that, and and that was very popular. And there was also a derby stall, derby racers of, you know, little horses that ran up and down. There was coconut chives, and there was hoopla. You know what a hoopla is, the square, and you put the prize on it and so forth. And um, my mother and another sister of hers, Auntie Doc, um, used to, and Auntie Molly, used to dress these stalls, you know, prepare them. But my father and mother decided that they couldn't work with the whole family and with the mother and father. So Daddy was sneakily making these stalls and he made a set of hobby horses. So after they got married a few weeks, they announced they were leaving. They left and the first place they went into was Limerick. And they actually uh, operated here in Yore where the Strand Church is. And there was funds being made for the Strand Church and Mummy and Daddy did several carnivals for that. My mum and dad were both very strict and there was none of this. No cuddling or anything? No, no, no cuddling and and that. And uh, it was seven seven days and seven nights. 
and you enjoyed it. You know, you got up in the morning, what the bloody hell? And you just got up, that's it. I was a hurdy-gurdy man, <laughs> or a merry-go-round man. They'd never tell us the takings of anything. Oh, no. They'd say, you count the shillings now and you count the threepenny bits, but they'd never tell us, do you remember? And you were yeah. the eldest. Yeah. I mean, even though you were 19, 20, yeah. we were never allowed to know, were we? Well, yeah, what was going on? Financially. <laughs> Financially. <laughs> well, the whole thing about it is, like, fellas, like, would come up and say, would, could we have a job and things like that? And this is, like... Well, my father especially was very helpful to people like that. That, yeah, ah, yeah, come on, just, like, get in there and get with those and they'll show you what to do and things like that. God, you worked, didn't you? Yeah. You really worked. But you you didn't mind. No, you loved it. You loved it. You weren't overworked or anything like that. My name is Stella Perks. My parents were in show business in the fun fairs, you would call it, and I call it show business because that was it was part of our life. We moved to the uh, west of Ireland and we were called the Tower Amusements. And your first job when you're seven is to pick up the rings, isn't it? And maybe you might be able to mind a kiddie ride, maybe. Then you'd move into a machine, which was the ark for me. Each town that we went to, you would be working with um, committees and you were doing it for X amount, whether it be for the ch- Mostly it was for building churches. Yeah. And it's very funny, you know, because we built more Roman Catholic, Catholic churches. churches. And we weren't Catholics, <laughs> if you know what I mean. That was very funny. You know? My father bought a place here in Yorn. And it was actually belonged to a man called Sammy Fields who had a fun fair before us there. And there was a little garage there as well. So he started off and we came there every summer and for June, July and August. And then we traveled the rest of the year and we had a place in Cork in the Western Road. And we opened up there as well. So we were opening Cork and then Yore and then traveling. So we saw quite a bit of the country. on the outside, tickets are only two pence each. There's a winner every time. You can have a set of wear, pots, pans, anything you like to choose from the store. And we're just about to spin the wheel very shortly. We still have one or two more tickets left before we begin. In the 40s, when just after the war, and petrol was still short. And that's something that Sal didn't say about Jumbo. He had a thing on the top of the car to keep it going, you know, during the war. And he had petrol when nobody else had petrol, too. They had a sort of balloon on the top. I don't quite know how it worked, but anyway, it, it helped to drive the, the, the store the gas, was it? Yeah. And all during the war, it was people could go nowhere else. So they could, you know, that when the Marys came, it was a big excitement. When we would have been young, and when going back to, to our grandfather's time, yeah. you're talking about 120 sites that were designated. People could not object to amusements using... Because they've been there since time began. You could go to any of the grounds, there was no problem whatsoever. But that changed. All over the country they had sites, and which was very interesting is if there was um, another fun fair, or show as we call it, if there was another show um, a couple of miles from you, um, they'd come over at night after work and get together and... Or two shows, pieces of two shows might get together for a very, very big venue. 
we kept in contact with each other and we kept in contact with the circus people too and the road shows you know the the uh, little road shows that they'd have like um you know they'd have a play we'll say Noreen Bourne and they'll be singing and dancing and fella telling funny stories and they might be in on the, the town hall in Yall and we'd be in Middleton and they'd get together they'd come over for the supper we'd be in a place for 10 days we'd pull down on Monday the whole show would muse on Tuesday Start laying out the show in a new address Wednesday morning. It was, it was a great life. We were very lucky at, the, at, at that stage to be able to do what we were able to do, you know, because it's very hard to explain to people the poverty that was in the country. Pennies were short and we had to keep going. We enjoyed it. Like it was our bread and butter and we encouraged ourselves to be with it. And people would be glad to work work with the, 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 the merry-go-rounds, the merries as they called them in those days. The merries are coming to town and there was a ferocious excitement right, when they were coming to town. The lighting was a huge attraction in those days because you've got to remember it was all gas. You had this whole hurdy-gurdy part of amusements. It was not just the machines themselves, but it was actually the, the attraction of the life. Talking about light... My father used to line the wagons up like this and it was my first time having my own little trailer, you know what I mean? That was a big thing for me, have my own trailer, like and I made my own little... Uh, I act, No, but I actually made, you know, the frills around my bed and did all that and had a thing. We used to turn the lights on in the wagons and my trailer was the lowest one and we'd put the light on well, while the show was open and the people used to queue up to come and look in the wagons to see what it was like inside with the light. Our home, you know, when, when people think you say a wagon, they think, oh, my God. But our wagons were made of solid mahogany and, um, of course, Murray's of yore. Um, Ned Murray was the designer of them. And Mother would have nothing but mahogany, of course. And they were beautiful. You had your bedroom. I had, you know, you had a, a semi-bathroom when others didn't have one bathroom. We had a sitting room and um, a room where Mother did her checkup from, from the money that nobody was invited into. Then the other wagon, which was attached to it, the next wagon, had our kitchen, our dining room, um, a piano we had in it. And in those days, there was no television. So we used to li- listen a lot to radio programmes. It, it, that was par for the course, as well as we used to play cards. Um, and at the end of that, there was a very smart bedroom. And then my brothers had their own wagon and I had my own wagon. So basically, we all had our own place and we were very lucky. A lot of other people didn't have that luxury. And I can assure you, when mother and father started out far, first, they had far from that luxury. All the modern magnets were actually made in Murray's and Yall, right? Now, pre- previous to that, we actually had to bring them in from England. We, we would have bought old showmen's. Well, there wouldn't be no showmen's, but when well, I refer to them as old, and I mean, they were second-hand from English showmen that we bought in prior to that. Like, that's an interesting point of view from the connection that we had in, in Yall. We ended up in Yall as, like, our winter place of heritage sort of effort and all the machinery was brought in there and we repaired it and did things to it and painted it and and we did all our own painting and things like that and there was chaps that they knew how to paint and and get on with it. The work in the amusements was very very difficult. Everything had to be transported in a couple of days and built up then and ready for Friday night and it was hectic. 
It was absolutely hectic. Mr. Perks, Jumbo Perks as he was known, and myself became very good friends along with me being an employee. And uh, one day he said to me, um, Johnny McGrath, isn't it about time you're learning to drive? And uh, he said, jump into the truck there. And the trucks they had at that time were ex-army vehicles. Uh, they were very heavy vehicles, no power steering or anything. But I went into the, the passenger side of the truck and we drove up to Clay Castle. He jumped out and I did too. And he said to me, there you are now. He said, uh, bring the truck back when you can drive. That's a situation you will put into. You, you've never done it before, but you either sink or swim. From the time I was 11, I worked. Now, I don't mean I left school to work. I still had to go. But when you came home for your holidays or a weekend, you, your mother made sure you worked. Um, when I was about 15, I was operating the Dodgems and other rides from there and stalls, you know, I learned very quickly what to do. And I suppose the fact that it was in my blood, I didn't have too much difficulty. But at any rate, um, for me, it was a great experience. And um, But at the time, you don't think so because you just think this is what I do. And in school, when I went to school first, I was a bit kind of, they weren't mad at me because my parents worked on a Saturday and Sunday. And of course, working on a Sunday was against all the rules in those days. But they got over it. And um, eventually, you know, I used to be to take out girls who would come home for weekends and they were fascinated with the fun fair. And we had so much fun and excitement. So they used to be queuing up to be taken home with me for weekends and come on holidays and they'd come down to you all and they'd have to go to work whether it was taking the tickets and the big wheel or whatever it was they had to have a job and they loved it they thought it was fantastic I must say that the experience that I had from Perks you couldn't no matter what university you went to you just couldn't get anything like it in as much as that you learned how to paint how to drive how to weld how to do with the mechanical work, everything and anything. The family were the backbone of the Irish Showman's Guild. All our family, you know, Perks's, McDonald's, Macaulay's, Birds, made up the Irish Showman's Guild originally. They were struggling with the law on a game called Pongo. Pongo is the early version of oh, bingo. bingo. You see, Pongo was a game of chance. But the local guards used to try and used to say it was a game of skill. The law applied differently from a game of skill to a game of chance. One was legal and one was not. The, the, the family worked together to get that law straightened out. When, when Russ actually stopped doing his pongo here, uh, George and, and Jumbo started doing pongo up in South Main Street. We had advanced quite a bit. We found that because of touring and being uh, got marquees and had them and like we would have a oh, thousand people and, and like for dancing and things like that and we thought well it was time that we probably got some bit of stabilized part of that for ourselves i think i got the first one of them ballroom of its type, of yes. Of its type. It's you know. The whole, the whole atmosphere of the place was a fabulous place to go for young people. And, 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 you know, when the crowds used to come down off the trains, you know, the show got expressed in that. I mean, like, there'd be six and seven hundred people on this train. They'd kind of frequent the bars before they come into the showboat, but 
you know, like that, that whole thing was still a connect to the business of the town. Do you know what I mean? They were still bringing in money into y'all. The men would be over there and the women would be over this side. That's that how long ago I can remember. Yeah. So, But that stage, I remember seeing Brendan Boyer. With the, oh my God, it was just fantastic. Yeah. Absolutely well, fantastic. The showboat time through the summer months, we would have Mick Delahunty. He was the leading band in the country at that stage. The trains would come down to y'all and you'd yes. buy your ticket and like you could get your ticket for, and it would include the dance <laughs> all as well. Like I played out in the showboat one night and there was 3,000 people inside it. On the Sunday you'd have three sessions. You'd have an afternoon session and you'd have an evening session and then the night session that was, you know, from 10 to 2 or something like that, you know. They packed them all. And this is just it. Getting back to the stage where I decided that I had enough of show business, um, because all of us, George, Nettie and myself, were shoveled with it, you know, starting so young. But apart from that, um, I decided that I had enough of this and I was always interested in beauty and cosmetics. So a friend of mine that I knew um, said that there was an opportunity with Elizabeth Arden in London. So um, I told my father, because I had to pay a fee, he nearly went mad. You know, he said, this is your life, show business, you know, this is what you're born for and this is what I've trained you for. So anyhow, I said it to my mother and she didn't take it quite so badly. So at any rate, um, she gave me some money and I had some money myself and off I went and studied and I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I met some lovely girls and had some very good times and... Um, Anyhow, I went back and I went to Revlon in Dublin and I did a course there. So then I got a place in Patrick Street over Tracy's shoe shop and I started off and I did a bomb because I was the only one in the city. So I was very pleased with myself and then I employed two other girls. So at the grand opening of it, anyhow, I got the Lord Mayor to open it. Oh, the Lady Mayoress, sorry. And the Lord Mayor came. So Mummy and Daddy came to that, so that broke the ice. They realised that I was serious. Anybody else now, please? Step right this way. We're just about to begin. Just about to begin. All aboard now, please. All aboard. Quickly. I kept coming home at weekends because I felt that they weren't up to doing this anymore. And George had gone off um, with, with the farming. And Nettie, my brother, had another fun fair, And he was in another area. So um, I came home. Now, this is when we were permanent in Yore. And I came home and uh, at weekends or whenever I could because we've, I felt that they weren't able to cope. And then my best friend, who was this Frankie Forrest, uh, who I knew long before I got married, she used to come down. She wasn't had anything to do with beauty, but she lived in Middleton and she used to come down and we'd help Mummy and Daddy out or we'd do the work for the weekend, emptying the machines and, you know, operating the prize stall or dodgems or whatever it was. So um, that's exactly how I got to kind of come back again. Hello, my name is Kieran Heffernan. I remember coming to Pax as a child, great place for neighbours, meeting neighbours from the countryside, you know, people would come in in the evening time and hang around perks until around half ten or eleven o'clock. And I remember um, as well, the first time like I saw these one-armed bandits, as we, used to, as we used to call them, 
and there was another big gadget there where you put pennies in and would move a whole row of pennies and then if you were lucky if you put in a penny your whole row of them could fall and of course uh, you get it would make so much noise everybody would come to see all the amount of uh, money you were after winning but I remember it was a great place. After that then Philip and I met and I had a business in Cork, a beauty business and he had, he was a marine engineer and then he opened up a motorcycle shop and uh, we met and didn't get on at all but we got together over a veteran car and got to know each other and um, when we got married uh, my father was going to sell our premises and our business to another showman and uh, we talked about it and we came to the conclusion that we'd sell what we had and buy in there. Yeah, well, when I got involved, I was a marine engineer by profession, so I was into engines and all that stuff. So our father, Jumbo, like, had old trucks and generators and all the funfair rides, which were, you know, engine-driven. And so I really got involved then in sorting out ones that had problems and that was really the beginning of it like we updated the stuff and a lot of the stuff was old it hadn't been changed over the years so we had to kind of modernize the trucks and the, the equipment and everything so i had never been involved in the fun fair except that i had no problem with sorting all that stuff out and getting it modernised and bring it up to date. We were flying by the seat of our pants for many years to pay things off and then we bought a little house here just up the road from the fun fair and um, we were very happy there and then we had a son. We travelled then an awful lot. My name is Lorene Sweeney and I started working for Perks in 1979 when I was 16, the nanny for Warren. But then I progressed on to work above and I used to do the ticket offices and ride them one thing and another and I do the cash office and, and I love that as well. I operate the bumpers, the jets, the trabant, which was known as the ballerina skirt, the satellite dish. It went up 90 degrees inside. It would have about 60 people in it and it went at high speed, it went backwards and forwards. So it was like a skirt spinning around and you were up there spinning around and I was controlling it. <laughs> Um, old Perks, of course, was based on Mulgoggin's corner there at the, the Strand Palace. Down in the Strand Palace, it was a two-storey building. So you had upstairs where you had your main arcade, some of the kiddie rides, a fast food restaurant. And then you had downstairs as well um, with the bumper boats. We also had a fast food restaurant up there. There was an Alice's Tea Shop, which did all the ice creams and all that. I did a summer in that as well. And it's just, again, you could see Salin making ice creams, which was busy, and we were short summon. You could see Philip in the shop, you could see him cooking chips, and he can be still at that. He can still get stuck to do that. People that are familiar with y'all will know the wall that runs along the footpath. So you had everybody sitting on the wall having their chat. It was kind of a meeting point or a focal point for a lot of the, the youngsters that used to come to y'all on their summer holidays. If you, if you were lucky enough, you were picked to go out down the beach to sell the ice creams in it, so you got your bit of sun and everything like that. And the evenings, I suppose, re it was a real hub of excitement in the evenings when everybody was coming off the beach, they were after having their meals, and there was fantastic atmosphere. You had the music blaring through the speakers from the Trabant, and we also had the, the bumpers, which were very, very popular at the time. Hi, I'm Dara, I'm the bumper boy. It was probably a dirty job, but probably one of the most coveted jobs on the, um, 
in, in the fun fair because um, I suppose you were kind of looking kind of swashbuckling and the back of the car was swinging around and when Sal used to drive the speed of it, you, you could still hear that to, to, to this day, you know. Here we go, hold on tight now please and keep those barriers on your right hand side. No head on bumping, here we go now. That she's changed the, that's changed the atmosphere of us behind the wheel. Things quickened up a little bit more and the pace quickened again. They had that carnival type of voice, that experience, and the pace of the cars themselves would quicken significantly, and then it means you have to work harder. Well, everything we did, we did together, as in, like, for instance, now this probably sounds like, if the toilet was blocked and Sal was the nearest one to it, she sorted out. If I was the nearest one to it, I sorted out. And if it was the gents, we were delighted, because Philip had sorted out. <laughs> um, it's just, it was a great, great life. Sally was coming in and out, she had that, that presence about her that um, sort of would strike a bit, a bit of fear into you as well and keep on your toes. They had, had that presence. You wouldn't be messing, messing around too much in our company. So it was, it was great, um, great, great learning experience in 15, 16. Just, um, and I suppose one thing that all sticks out in my mind would, would be was the work ethic. There was, there was no slackers, there was no passengers. There was, it, was, it was just, just what you did. There was, there was no, no one being pampered or spoiled. Was, everyone, everyone mucked in, everyone was expect, expected to work. They worked, so you worked. You know, it, it was that, that, nice, that, that nice atmosphere, but also that, that belief, I suppose, or that work, work ethic that was instilled in, in, in the family. And that, that, that's refreshing to see that there's, there's no hierarchy almost. There was, everybody was mucking. I used to travel um, three to four months of the year all over Ireland. We do a month in Cork and then we do a load of festivals from March until July and then we come back to you all of July and August and we might go out again in September. You come into town, the trucks, and Sal used to drive the trucks as well. Frankie used to drive the trucks and I'd be the lookout, oh God love me, and we'd pull into town and we'd have to set up and we'd a generator to do us before we got electricity and then we progressed. After a few years, we'd even had a phone in the mobile home, which was just amazing. Now, the amount of wire and everything it took was just as amazing, right? So uh, all that, and it just became like everyone did their bit of the build-up. The men would do the heavy stuff, obviously. The women would help build up the stalls, and then when the stalls were built up, you all had to be dressed, which meant you had to put all the stuff up, mark how many prizes or how many wins there were. There'd be hook-a-duck, there'd be dart stalls, there'd be um, all different things. It was just... And it was just the field turned into a maze of light and music and just happiness, right? To the left, Lyndon, to the right. We're going to go faster, faster, faster. Hey! We go to lots of exhibitions every year. The biggest ones in the world are in America, so we used to go to that every year and friendly with Ted Crowell, who was the vice president at Disney Parks, you know, and afterwards he was California and Orlando, and um, at the time when we knew him, they were just starting in Orlando, they had nothing there. And it was through him then he advised us, like, to get a costume character, because, you know, the Mickey Mouse and that, they, they had... But they didn't have all the characters they have now. So he um, pointed us in the right direction to a guy, Bill Scollin. So Sal and Bill sat down and his draftsman that designed. So he sketched him out and we liked what we seen. And he was made and shipped out back to us. And 
you know, so that, that was how he, he came about. Hi, my name is Darren Murray. Uh, I started with Perks uh, 1985, I think the year I'd have been. Gradually got to know some of the lads. Fell in, didn't even ask for a job. And all of a sudden things were being handed to me. And it was a case of, yeah, put that over there. So it carried on from there. I think eventually it became possible for me to get involved. So I began by collecting tickets on various rides like the Wall of Death and the Big Wheel and the Dodgems. This is fun and I'm getting paid for it. So it was literally moving off from there and the opportunity came to go to the next town, relaying the loads up the road and unloading everything and assembling it back up. And I suppose it was the case that I'd remember where parts of machines weren't. I remembered how to um, maintain them, load them, look after them, protect them. It was so busy. There was times we were mental. I remember at one stage we were moving a kiddie ride and there was Sal and myself in the Jeep and we had the kiddie ride on the back and the wheel came off the kiddie ride. I hopped out. I'm running down the road after this wheel and it's hopping and she's sitting inside singing three wheels on my wagon and I'm still rolling along. A heart is scorching day and I'm running down the road after this wheel, right? And it was just... She couldn't stop. She said all she could see was in the mirror running down the road. And all bits like that. And even even on the um, tra- travelled once or twice on, on the road, and there was all, all nighter putting the equipment up. And I remember up in, up in Cork once or twice. They rode in around six o'clock in the evening. Everything was on trucks. So then it was a case of everything had to be, had to be assembled before twelve o'clock the next morning. So it was an all night affair. So you, you see the, the big wheel and all that had to be taken off the truck and put assembled in, in, in their place and ready for ready for action for the fair to open the next day. So. Back in Cork again for the Jazz Weekend for a street festival, which we would pull into the street on a Friday and assemble everything through the night and be open for lunchtime on Saturday for the whole weekend. Well, it was tough, Get, getting ready and you're obviously there to a deadline, tempers got fraught, I suppose. Like it was just the excitement of the people in the town seeing us coming back and knowing it was the fun fair or the Murrays as they call it in Cork and just waiting when are you opening and what time are you opening when's your half price day um, it was just lovely and it was a real family unit even though there would be different families on the show um, everyone just you kind of lived in mobile homes it became a little town so this was it and in towns you made great friends in each town because you were there for 10 days you were building up you were going to the local shops buying your shopping there so you got to know people and you got to know people coming down to the shows so there was loads of romances from all over the country for all of us. It's just, it was just a great life. And the same in the summer in y'all. It would be packed July and August in y'all. Absolutely packed. And as we say back then, like it was hassle free. Now it wasn't always um, straight flow of life uh, for Philip and I. Um, we had our very, very tough times. There were times when I felt that I just couldn't go on. I had, um, I, I felt my emotions were, were out of, out of uh, hand. And um, because this really is a very emotional business. And um, about 18 years ago, I went off and I uh, went back to college and studied to be a counsellor. And um, I worked for many years with addiction counselling, which I know all about. 
And, um, you know, I know my business, I know how to counsel, I know what I'm doing. And um, it really made my life so much better, you know, to give something rather than to take, 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 and to understand where people were coming from. First of all, we had uh, travelling around Ireland, all over the country, moving a couple of thousand tonnes of stuff every week or two. We had an approach then about going to Hong Kong for the winter because that was a big problem at the time. All the equipment was parked up for the winter because you couldn't operate. So we had all this fairly modern stuff which we had to find work for which wasn't and um, so when we got approached by uh, Sal's nephew who was involved out in Hong Kong and uh, we had an English company who put on big operas, Barnum and all those sort of big shows and they wanted a traditional type fun fair to operate in front of the opera house in Hong Kong. So they got in contact, came over, had a look at our setup, and they liked it. There was an opportunity for the Perks family to go to Hong Kong. Couldn't believe it at the start. The plan was that we were to get uh, an old English fair together of our best equipment and pack it up in seven containers and ship it off to Hong Kong, which I think took four weeks to get there. Going to the site for the first time was surreal because it was on tiled floors, which normally we'd be in field. The view to Hong Kong is something I'll probably never forget because of the lighting and the height of the buildings, but yet they were split between a river, or the Victoria River. It was like typical old English fair, which consisted of um, a carousel, a ferris wheel, swing boats, a helter-skelter slide, numerous game stalls, kiddie rides. And we eventually got approached by China Resources, which we didn't know who they were, but they, they were the Chinese government. And the guys we had dealings with in Hong Kong, they all checked it out and they said, yeah, we'll, we'll go into talks with them. And basically they were looking to build a theme park in Beijing, just outside Beijing, but what they wanted was somebody to build it, operate it, and train the staff and stay there because they had built a couple of parks in Beijing which sold equipment from America, and, but they, they didn't know how to look after it properly. It's like giving some guy a big computer and he works away, but the computer goes wrong, then they're all looking at it. They're, so that was how we got involved there. So we went up, looked at the sites, um, measured it out and came up with ideas and we laid out what we want and we worked with the Hong Kong architects and Beijing architects and we got the site sorted and we came back the following year then with all the equipment which was shipped up to Beijing and we had a lot of new equipment, big roller coasters and all that, which was shipped into the park. I think we were sponsored by Virgin Airlines at the time. We were also sponsored by the largest hotel in Hong Kong, which was the Panda at the time. We had 
a shuttle bus from our hotel to the site where we were going. Yeah, well, we brought Parkio to Hong Kong originally just as um, something different. We didn't know, like, what would happen, but when we brought him to Hong Kong, immediately the local media and everything latched on to him because they thought he was a, a great idea and they had three or four children's programs with different channels showing Perky, you know, and they were down on the site filming and he was in the paper and everything. And then uh, Virgin Airways then latched on to him. They had a big poster campaign with Perky waving on the Virgin plane and uh, Virgin then gave us flights for the staff over and back as well as part of the deal. So it was something we hadn't expected. We're here at the Laser. So you have here a lot of um, the parties coming to you today? Yeah, yeah. Good. You're the popular one today, are you? Me and Bola Nights yeah. and Blackbirds. You're getting ready for the birthday parties okay, today. Yes. Right, who will be first? We have Katrina first. And who have we then? We have Sarah and Kevin, it's a double party. Oh good, yeah. good. And it goes on from there, you have a busy day. Yeah. Rebecca, Rebecca, how are you? And um, I was just talking about the birthday parties which we've booked for today, but your end of it is more to do with the play centre today, isn't it? My mother used to do housekeeping for Mrs Perks. I would have known Mr Perks, his mother, now Sal. My daughter worked there part-time, and now I have a granddaughter who is doing part-time there. It's to go out there now, you could actually walk around and say, yeah, her grandfather worked there, her grandmother worked there, her great-grandmother worked there, her aunts worked there. It's just, it's true through the generations. Now it's vitally important to our businesses, health and safety, and I emphasize the word safety, safety, safety. And this has come down through the line of show business to us uh, with the McDonald and the Perks regime. And here in Yole, every morning uh, by Chris, he is our mechanic, electronic uh, engineer. The staff know and are trained for several days um, maybe weeks on the rides by Chris. Like if there's the slightest thing they're worried about, the slightest, they call Philip or Chris, you know, or Gavin or Eric immediately to this and they're not allowed to open that ride until it's either corrected or it's checked. But I must say, since my father's time and my grandfather's time, this is the highest thing, the safety. Hi, I'm uh, Eric McCarthy. Um, I'm the general manager of Perks. In Perks, I suppose there's, there's five, four or five different businesses. Like you have the bowling, you have the laser, you have the blackbeards, you have the casino. Uh, so they're all little separate businesses in their own right. So you have to kind of make sure they all run. You know, there must be floats every morning. There must be checkups done every evening. Uh, so there's quite there's quite a bit in it. Siobhan, last night I took a call from the change box of a booking, um, 40 kids, which is good, and um, I left it all, all the information on your desk. Yeah, perfect. I saw that this morning. I contacted the lady. Everything is booked in for them, no problem whatsoever. 
Thanks, that's great. Yep, Good. Perfect. No at the moment, I'm in management position. I do three days in the office and then I'm out on the floor at the weekends. The office is administration and taking bookings and everything that goes with that. Um, because we are open until about 10 o'clock in the evenings during the summer, you're here until 10 o'clock in the evenings. Everything changes. There's something new every day. Um, I'm never bored here. Never, ever boring here. Uh, new faces, new people coming through the door every day. And those figures you had there for the McPurkies, are you happy about everything there? Yeah, sure. I'll print them out and leave you a copy. That's lovely. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Hello, my name is Anne. I started working in Perks in 99. So originally when I started here, I was working in the reception. So again, it's very busy with telephone calls, bookings, all that kind of thing. I've moved into the accounts office since. So again, really, really busy. You don't realise what goes on behind the scenes here. So the work involved would include just preparing for the next day. So for example, if you have group bookings in, you have to make sure the staff rotas are up to date. You have to have all the invoicing and stuff ready. A lot of photocopying for the day-to-day sheets in all the different areas. And then the phone is extremely busy with bookings, um, emails, ordering. You forget about the order orders that have to go in for all the fast food and ice cream, the shops, the vendors. A lot, a lot of work actually in the background that you just don't see. That's It's just like one big family. We have our fights like any normal family does and you just get on with it and the show goes on no matter what happens. Hey, my name is John. I'm with uh, Perks since December 2003. Um, my role in the business is financial controller. We have Philip and Sal focusing in on all the marketing, advertising, maintenance kind of thing. I'd say Philip spends a lot of his life here, to be honest. He works round the clock. So, and sell and the same way, we, even with just trying to get out, reach the, further out to customers, new customers, making sure all present customers are kept happy uh, while trying to grow the business the whole time, advertising, marketing. A few hard years we've got through them. We've managed to keep going during the recession, but it, it meant to... Uh, a lot of hard work we to do to, to keep going in the time, you know, and try to reinvent ourselves, what we could attract people in and the parties and kids, that sort of stuff. We've, we've managed to keep the boat afloat, as they say. The stage began when it becomes more and more difficult to get a site. You know, you still had the festivals, but they were shoving you out the road. And of course, the other thing was the insurance was going higher and higher and higher. So we came to the conclusion that when we came back from China, we would move from up there. And, and we, we just took a bit of it at a time because we were hoping to open a very big amusement park in the railway station. The seaside tax scheme came into... Ireland, you know, with, where we were up in the old showboat and there was this tax break and we were looking at building a theme park in the railway station. So we spent a, an awful lot of money getting that sorted out. So that we were down here at where we are now at the Seafield, which was our workshop originally for China. And then we opened down here, kind of temporary, when we were waiting for this thing to go ahead, and it didn't, so we were stayed here. So. Um, I remember leaving this building up here, packing everything to move out, and oh my God, it was heartbreaking. Like the travelling funfair had been going since Sal's father, Jumbo's time, for years, and then we continued on, then we were doing 
traveling a lot more bigger areas because we had more better transport and we were able to go north to south come down then we started doing the street fairs like the jazz festival in cork and all that stuff which had never been done before we were doing that up to the time we got involved really with uh, hong kong because that was when at that time we were finding it hard all right to get grounds was the big problem because um you know, you'd get a ground and you'd use it for years and then somebody decided, oh, they'd develop that. So you had to go to a new ground. And the problem was then you had to, like, resell that ground, try to draw people. And sometimes the grounds were not great, like, you know, soft, your trucks getting stuck and, you know. And so that was really how we involved getting, stopping, like, and the travelling, because when we decided then to go to Hong Kong, like we had to take all the stuff that was movable off trailers and make it containerized so it could be built up from a container. Whereas then, so like for three years, you know, we went out, came backwards and forwards, but uh, that was the time we really stopped. That was in the 90s. Fairness, I mean, you know, she, like she did, did everything. She did everything. Like to try, she did to everything, try and in fairness. Keep the business going wow. as she really show did. people. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. As the genuine show person. They gave 100%. You know, 100%. Yeah. 100%. should never be underestimated what, what it means to the town, how much a part of the town it still is. And what they do is they do very well. They've modernised and they've grown and they've adapted all the um, latest technology and all all the willing to change and embrace embrace you no know, new new products and um, new trends. I suppose. The name of Parks is going back in the business since 1929. We started off Philip and I about 1969-1970, so we're quite a while and have had quite a lot of experiences in good and bad ways. I mentioned we kept going during the recession, which was really difficult, and we didn't let anyone go. Um, but uh, that was a miracle. That was a miracle to keep going for you all. And um, we both love it because it's uh, very exciting. You never know what day, what the day is going to bring. It's not the same ordeal every day. It's something new and exciting, and the, the two of us love that. Yeah, well, I, I suppose the, the funfair business is uh, different. You know, it's every day there's something new something coming along, there's problems. You're always something new around the corner. You look at it and see, will it suit or it won't suit? And and we have to keep in mind that, like, we're in Yall, where you're not in huge population areas, so you have to have something that will suit the local people and the surrounds, you know, so that's... So we just have to keep up with the times and try and evolve ourselves into something new. I can remember Sal as um, as a kid as well, coming out of Perky Bear, and she used to have the bowler hat, and she was all done up, and, you know, she was always this larger-than-life kind of figure, as a kid, and still is. Being my boss, you know, we have a good work, great working relationship, actually, and, you know, we get on really, really well, and, and they've been very, very good to me, both herself and, and Philip, her husband, 
who's um, very, very much part of Perks as well. You know, he's, he's always in the background. He's never in the forefront, but uh, he's a, a huge part. And, and the two of them together, they're, they're really rock solid, the two of them. And, you know, it's just it's great to see the two of them work together. They have their moments like anyone else, of course, <laughs> uh, when they're working. But, um, you know, the, the, the two of them together, they're fantastic. They really are. Really are. She was like a second mother to me, but she's not old enough to be a second mother to me. I have put that bit in. Um... She's just such a kind, loving person. Loves her boys, loves her grandchildren. The same with Philip. And would, like, is a helping hand to anyone that needs it. Like, even locally, she would be very good to people, you know? And even to this day, I think, even though I don't meet Sal that often, if I met her on the street or even anywhere, it would be the same as if we were talking yesterday to each other. Sometimes now I feel quite sad when I think about the old times, how much fun they were and things that happened and my life in general um, has been a wonderful one because of the the business I've been in uh, sometimes I've been flying by the seat of my pants and other times rejoicing but most of the time um, I'm very happy in what I do and I think that for anyone in their lives who's doing something they're happy um, at what they're doing it's a, a, such a big big thing um, to have. Um, we've been we've been in this business uh, down here for I think ten or twelve years and above for many many years where we had the showboat etc. and um, we intend to keep going and very much so um, with new ideas with new uh, games with new rides um, and also uh, Gavin and Warren our two sons they're involved in it our grandchildren love it they say they don't say we're going over to Perks they say we're going over to Perky Bear so that keeps the name of Perky Bear going. But um, we also, uh, Philip and I and the boys, also look forward, they've learned, go look ahead at what's the new thing and it mightn't always just be fun fair, it might be other things. And um, we, we've taught them that from the word go, you know, don't sit and wait, get out there and look. It's a very exciting world, you know, and um, you'd want to have nerves of steel at times, I can assure you. But um, Philip and I have enjoyed every moment of it and we are quite happy to go on for the next lifetime if we possibly can together doing this sort of thing you talk to anyone in cork or wherever like that you know they they all know where perks is they all know it they, they all have some story to tell from perks and and that's that's the that's the really really nice side it's a magical side of it i loved every minute of perks amusements i looked upon perks as not just a job but a way of life and a lot of people spent their time there either through holiday work or maybe gave a couple of years working there, and they were all the better for it. Um, I absolutely loved it. I just went into it head first and absolutely loved it. And you just got on with it and, 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 and enjoyed it, and, and you were in the middle of it. And you were probably great people for it. People wouldn't think of it as fun for us, but... I suppose we made it fun. Good fun, hard work, brings back a lot of memories. It was a, it was a long way from home to go uh, travelling with a show. I guess I probably wouldn't mind if it was still going. I have to say, without question, you make a deal with Sal and you do a deal and that's it. There is no problem. She's straight down the line. Hi Siobhan, I'm finished now and um, if you're looking for me, I'm at home. Uh, everything is fine, I've gone through everything with you today. We're busy, which is great. So I'll see you again tomorrow. Good night. Good night.
And finally, what I'd like to say is that um, the prince and the showgirl are still 47 years together. But really it's more because we go to work together in the morning, we have lunch together, we have dinner together in the evening, and we go back to work after, we, you know, it's seven days a week and seven nights a week. So the prince and the showgirl are still together after 47 years and still mad about each other, as strange as it may be. But we've seen um, an awful lot of each other, and I know a lot of people say, um, oh, husband and wife shouldn't see too much. Well, in our case, it, it worked out just fine. It's lovely to have. Isn't that nice? That's fantastic. I'll have your box and match everything. Well, SAS Funfair was funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee. Produced by Eileen McCarthy-Thompson and edited by Warren Tithey.